Welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. I'm Pastor Hayden, and I am joined with Pastor Evan. Hello there. And we are members of Compass Bible Church, where we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching, teaching, and training people for the glory of God. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, Pastor Evan, I started a series today here at Compass called He Is. Uh, And this series, in this first sermon, was called Wonderful Counselor. How about you read the text that we were in in Isaiah 9-6? It would be my pleasure. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Mm, Come on. All right, well, Pastor Hayden... The main thrust, and as a reminder for us, the main point of your sermon is that trusting in Christ as God's promised solution to your most significant issue is indispensable uh, to successfully address the mountain of other problems that we face. And so, essentially, making sure that in order to deal with the other problems that we face, real problems, we need to make sure our biggest problem is uh, fixed, which is a lack of peace with God and having peace with God. And right. something you mentioned at the 9 a.m., was the fact of, hey, in order to really deal with the problems ahead of time, it's not going, hey, I need to get right with God, but I need to fix my budget and my relationships and my marriage, and then I'll come to God. It's like, no, no, no. You need peace with God, and God will help you fix other problems. So why is that important? Do you have any other thoughts on that? Well, it's what I told our life group leaders in their podcast earlier. It's you know, Jesus's counsel, or, or that is Jesus as the answer to our world, our biggest problem in the world is our peace with God, uh, is not to be done after other things have been done first. It is actually the primary thing, uh, the prominent feature of our our solution is, is this. In Mark 2, uh, Jesus is eating with uh, tax collectors and sinners, that's what the scribes and Pharisees say, and the scribes and Pharisees said, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it, and he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so the the tenet or the idea or the presupposition that I might have to go do something else before I deal with the biggest problem of my life is antithetical to the purpose of Christ, uh, because we can do no good thing apart from God. There is nothing I can do to prepare uh, for the very thing that I have to do before I can do anything else uh, meaningful uh, in my when it comes to my standing with God. All right. Well, Compass, as a reminder, I'm going to go through these points and ask Pastor Hayden a few questions about them. Uh, point number one was to discard the counsel of our culture. And, well, Pastor Hayden, you mentioned there's three things that we need to reject. It may be something that you, you may believe or may have been told this is what you need to do, but we need to reject this whole, wholesale. There's three phrases. Uh, one, prioritize yourself, and you countered that with Philippians chapter 2 to count others more significant than themselves. You, The second one was discover your true identity, and you refuted that with Galatians 3, is that your identity needs to be one in Christ. And this third phrase was, do what makes you happy, which you refuted with Luke 9, 23, that if anyone, needs to, well, if anyone wants to follow Christ, they need to deny themselves and pick up their cross. And you know, so, Pastor Hayden, you, know, you might have stepped on some toes here, or maybe you agree with Pastor Hayden, saying, yeah, we need to reject those. But if we really examined your life, 
you actually believe those things because you actually prioritize yourself and trying to figure out who you really are and, and tr- you just do what makes you happy, but you say you reject these phrases. Well, Pastor Hayden, what can we do with that, with this text? Really, when it comes to discarding the counsel of our culture, uh, you don't have to become an expert in culture to learn how to deal with things that don't align biblically, but you do need to become familiar with the Bible, because once you're familiar with the genuine article, the counsel of God's Word, you then, although that you can't always put your finger on the things that are going on in culture, you do understand that, oh, that's not right, you know? Uh, the, the, when the world says, put yourself first, but then like you look at Matthew 20, and it says, the last will be first, and the first will be last. You're like, well, that don't, I can't do that. The Bible clearly tells me in Matthew 20 that if I, if I prioritize myself and make myself first here, I'm going to be last. And the last thing that I want to be is last in the kingdom of God. I want to be I want to be first, not because I want to prioritize myself, but because I want to be in such a way in my relationship with God that God would be pleased and say, hey, this is the economy that I have put together, that if you would, uh, what Scripture teaches you uh, uh, in Luke 9, if I would deny myself, take up my cross and follow him, that he's going to... Uh, exalt me at the proper time if I do not lose heart, which is what we read also in the New Testament. And so really for you, it's becoming uh, very familiar and acquainted with God's Word in such a way where you're willing to remember the Scripture, and then when things are coming up in your life where you do prioritize yourself, which you will, there's going to be many times in your life where you will try to prioritize yourourself, tell yourself, no. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, and you just do that at every other place in Scripture. Uh, deny yourself. Okay, I want to do this, but my spouse wants to do something different. Uh, deny yourself. Do what your spouse wants to do. I can listen to that myself. And so it's not like, oh, you know, I, just did, I didn't know that I tried to prioritize myself. It's like, yes, you do. The Bible tells you that's all you do. You know, and so it's like those types of things, you know you're going to deal with that because that's what the Bible says we all deal with. We all have an inclination of making ourselves the, the primary object of our own thoughts and, and desires, and the Bible tells us not to do it. And we can just learn through Scripture that it says that we do a lot of other things that culture tells us is okay, that the Bible tells us it's not. And so we need to discard the counsel of our culture and trust the Lord, fear Him, and honor Him as holy, and let Him direct us to what is good and right. Because eventually we're going to be pitted against God, and our idolatry of ourself is going to be at odds with God, saying, you need to worship me, being God, mm-hmm. instead of ourselves. And so we need to make sure, point number two, that we're entrusting ourselves to the peace of Christ. And if order for us to deal with the other areas, we don't have peace. Maybe it's relationships or um, situations at work. you got to first deal with your biggest problem, which is your relationship with God. And, and Pastor Hayden, something you mentioned at the 9 a.m. at least um, was that we think that the problem that we have is a lack of inner peace, but in reality, the lack of inner peace is rooted without a peace with God. And we can understand that you know, non-Christians don't have inner peace. Like they're just trying to seek it. It's a very, you know, it sounds like a very Eastern and, and mystic yeah. type idea. New agey. They're yeah. trying to find the inner peace. We say, yeah, because you don't have God, duh. And we might forget, no, Christians, we struggle with the idea of having inner peace. And something you mentioned in the Live Group Leader podcast was the fact that, hey, if you don't have, uh, let, you, to let you know when you don't struggle with anxiety, depression as a Christian. Yeah, I'd like to, yeah, I'd like you to know if, if you don't have any problems with peace every moment of your life. Uh, yeah, I said in, in both services, the problem is the absence of peace with God. And I know this, this section of the sermon was... Uh, was almost explicitly 
evangelistic for people who haven't dealt with the major problem in their life. But it is a, a good reminder, even for the Christian, to entrust yourself to the peace of Christ. Uh, uh, there's there's a verse in the New Testament, I don't remember who says it, but uh, it says that it's a, it's a faithful thing, uh, even when you're being persecuted, uh, uh, to entrust yourself to... To, to God, and I forget where that's found. Uh, but it really, the idea of entrusting yourself in all of your circumstances to that which has been won in Christ for you uh, includes this idea of the peace, like the fact that the biggest problems in your life are taken care of. It, it really puts the small things in perspective to the big things, the big problems, like the illustration of, you know, my weight loss or my, my losing my whole bunch of weight is really light in comparison, no pun intended, to the reality that I have cancer. Now, if my cancer gets taken care of, and now all I got to deal with is gaining weight, that is small in comparison to the big problem that's been solved in my life. And so, therefore, I can entrust myself to the peace of Christ, knowing that the big things have been handled, and now I'm dealing with these light momentary afflictions that I've got to work on with my life with the tools that God has given me. And speaking of that tool, the tool is God's Word, and point number three was to employ biblical counsel to every area of our lives. And so, Pastor Hayden, we're supposed to reject the counsel of the world, but accept the counsel of God. And uh, before we have a note I want to talk about, but why should we listen to God's counsel? And to what benefit is it going to lead us? If we have peace with Christ, what is God going to do with his counsel, especially found in his word? Yeah, I, when your big problem is solved, your peace with God, Christ has indwelt you with the Holy Spirit, thus empowering you to live for God. And how does the Holy Spirit empower you to live for God? With what? Well, with the tool of God's Word, as you're reading it and studying it and applying it to your life, uh, through the power of the Spirit, because you now have peace with God through Christ, you now have the teaching and the testimony that we read in Isaiah 8 uh, that helps me say, okay, I can, I can live now with the word of god and it should be applied to every area of my life second timothy 3 16 through 17 says all scripture all of it is profitable for teaching reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work uh and you're going to look at second peter 1 3 in your application questions this week uh man you get to you get to the privilege empowered by the holy spirit through peace with god in christ to have god's word illuminated to you uh, through the Holy Spirit, also working in your community uh, to help you apply this word to deal with all of these other lesser things, which are real problems, real struggles, real worry, real anxiety, real problems, uh, but much lesser than the actual massive problem that we have with peace with God. And that is a blessing uh, that we have to be able to deal with even the lesser problems in community with people who are also indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who have God's word, the teaching and the testimony. All right. Well, I think that about does it. Well, Pastor Hayden, we have several... You said you had a comment. Wait, you answered that comment. Oh, okay, good. I just wanted them to know you didn't forget it. I didn't forget it. You didn't forget. You didn't forget it. You said it. All right. All right. So, application questions, Pastor Hayden. What are some things that we need to know about these questions? Yeah, I want to challenge you guys with question number two. Challenge accepted. And uh, and I get it. When you read question number two, you're like, man, he he didn't put it out there. I did. I want you to learn the context. And you should have if you were in the sermon. I told you the context. But I want you to study it, whether you need to look it up uh, in the Blue Letter Bible, maybe a good website if you don't have a lot of websites, Uh, Matthew Henry Commentary, which, yeah, okay. You can get it for free online. That's why I know. It's just look it up. You need to look at the context of Isaiah 8 and 9 9 that we talked about, and even re-listen to the sermon. 
And what, what is the historical context of these two chapters, and how does that context lead you to see the significance of trusting God instead of what the culture around you tells you to do? The reason I want you guys to do that is we need to start making a practice of understanding what the Bible is saying in its context so that we then can take the principles for all time and apply it to our life today. And we first have to start with looking at things in its historical context before we can learn how to apply it to our lives. And so I I put number two on there to get you to discuss the context of Scripture in your life group. And so I get it. It's not normal, but it may be something that we continue adding into our application questions. And if you need a resource, we have one in the bookstore called the Bible Knowledge Commentary, yep. which would help you immensely in your study of the whole Bible. Right. Yeah, and of course, all the rest of them, I think, are going to be really great to help aid you in the application of God's Word. But uh, just be prepared and, and do the research in question number two, and I guarantee you'll be able to answer the rest of these questions very well and to be able to help your group apply it to their life. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, do you have any resources that you would recommend uh, to us as a church to help us? And God is a wonderful counselor. He's given us his word to counsel us and one another. Yeah, on that note, the Bible would be a great (laughs) resource. There you go. Well played. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the Bible, I mean, I I know there's just so many things we can be focusing on. I know we gave some to our life group leaders, uh, but really, guys, be focusing on how you can study the Bible get you a good study Bible that's going to help you look at Scripture uh, and to be able to guide you a little bit alongside of it. And I think those would be helpful resources. I know you put a couple. Well, in terms of study Bibles, shout out to our bookstore. We have two study Bibles. We do. The ESV Study Bible and the John MacArthur Study Bible, which we would highly recommend to anyone. If we're out, let us know and we'll order more so you can purchase it because it's going to be the Word of God is what is all these counseling stuff that is helpful all of it is pointing back to, well, the good stuff is pointing back to God's word because God's word is fully sufficient for that. Uh, a few resources that we have, we have these six uh, different pamphlets written by a guy named Jay Adams that are very helpful in different realms about, hey, I need counseling on, I, I'm very fearful and I'm very anxious, I'm depressed, my marriage is going south, I'm, I'm addicted to stuff, and... Um, I can't remember the last one, but moving on. Those are going to be helpful little resources for you. There's six of them. If you ever need one, just let uh, Pastor Hayden or I know. We have them in the office. They're free. It's a little tiny pamphlet. But then we have helpful resources to help you be counseled through the situations that you may be facing. So if you have any questions, please let Pastor Hayden or I know. All right, we're going to jump into the Daily Bible Reading Spotlight. And what are we going through this week, Pastor Evan? All right, Compass Bible Church. This is where we're going to, it's going to get real fun right now. Not real so fun. The rest fast. of the Bible wasn't fun. I'm just kidding. Oh, no. Just kidding. It's, it's, it's <laughs> yep. real fun because now we are in, we're in the prophets, but we're about to enter in the we minor will, prophets. The minor prophets. Ooh, so we got yeah. Daniel. I think he's actually part of the minor prophets. Yeah. No, he's not. Yeah, he's, he? yeah he's a minor. He's a minor. He he's is a minor. In not in his age, uh, right? I think I he's know. a minor prophet. Yeah, he's minor when he was uh, when he was exiled. Hey. There we go. Segue. But regardless, we are entering into the minor prophets, where this is kind of you're gonna go, what? And I want to help you in this. And so we're gonna take on the book of Daniel in the book of Hosea uh, today in this podcast. And for the book of Daniel, this is actually kind of fun. In, in your on the top of it, it says Daniel. You can say God is my judge. Because that's what his name means. Think about that. And his book deals with the eschatological judgment of 
the world and what how proper is God to name him Daniel God is my judge and so who is Daniel well to kind of uh, piggyback off the Bible knowledge commentary which is a good resource for you to have is that he, Daniel was a you know let's say a rich kid but yeah he is born to royalty he is a noble and apparently he's good looking because in the first wave of exiles they only chose and picked out the finest bunch, the smartest, the best looking people to influence. And you can say um, brainwash in another way to brainwash them to their culture. So when they send them back into the land, they would be more Babylonian than Jewish Babylonian versus Assyrian and so on and so forth. And so he was very young, some guess maybe 16, roughly maybe a teenager uh, when he was taken into uh, Babylon and you read his the first half of Daniel is be very easy. It's very narrative and very helpful. And the latter half is very vision casting of God revealing this is the final coming judgment of not just on Babylon, but the nations to come and the whole world. And that's Daniel in some as he's describing all these different beasts and creatures and and craziness a little bit. But something that it's a fun fact that you should know about Daniel is that he was in the first wave of exile. There's a total of three. And yet God kept them alive through the, the rise and fall of Babylon, the rise of Persia. And he, even though he was the first to be exiled, got to witness God's fulfilled promise to start to bring Israel back out of exile. When during, uh, when King Cyrus of Persia, not Babylon, proclaimed that Israelites should go home. And so not only did he, he was the first to leave his whole life in exile for the most part, he got to see the promise keeping of God in the end to go, all right, I get to see God in action. We're going home. Even at the end of his life, he still was encouraged by that. And so um, one quick thing about, actually several quick things about the book of Daniel in terms of like, okay, what's the purpose of this? And again, taken from the Bible ner- knowledge, Bible ner- nerdage, Bible knowledge commentary is, uh, this, let's say five summaries that this gives. It, first off, it's it, Daniel's personal dedication to God throughout the switch at the beginning. He refuses to um, bow down. That's the shout of me, Chuck and go. He refuses, um, his friends and him refuse to worship false gods. Instead, be faithful to God despite the persecution they face. Also, the book really emphasizes God's control. God's control over the Gentile nations and Israel and how he's the one appoints and deposes kings. You're going to read how King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man at the time, was humbled by God and came to understand how powerful God was. Uh, thirdly, the God is uh, it's not the God. The book is a faithful account of God's faithfulness to His people to protect and preserve them as they're facing divine discipline. And we even see that not only in the visions that Daniel receives, but also in his life to be able to see God does fulfill it because I am seeing the end of the exile in my own life. Uh, fourthly. This book is uh, just outlines a very um, graphic, I meaning detailed account of, of a prophetic period known as the time of the Gentiles that it was to come, and it marks the course of history, the Gentile history through the through that extended period in which Israel, uh, which Israel was and is being disciplined by Gentiles, and so God is using the Gentiles to discipline Israel. He's going to judge the Gentiles, but also he's going to raise up Gentiles and graft some Gentiles into his will, which is the church. All right. Finally, uh, number five is that the book of Daniel, God uses it to reveal Israel's future. 
and its enjoyment in the future in a millennial reign, uh, millennial age, the thousand years of Christ's reign on earth. And that's all in the book of Daniel. But one thing I do want to focus on very briefly is Daniel chapter 7. And there's going to be plenty of highlights this week, but I want to focus on Daniel 7, 13 to 14. Daniel sees the throne room of God. He sees God is sitting on his throne. He's just in awe and wonder. But then he sees someone else. And I'm going to quote it. Uh, he saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of the days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And so God is revealing that there is someone like a son of man, someone that looks like a human, but this person's divine. He's approaching the ancient of days, God the Father himself. And God the Father is entrusting him and giving him everything in this world. And eventually every knee shall bow and declare Jesus is Lord. And we see that written in Philippians and the book of Revelation. But this is what Jesus says. Is, you know, People say, Jesus never said he would claim to be God. I'm like, um, yes, he did, actually, hmm. especially in Matthew 26, when he says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's talking about himself. And the high priest, when he's judging him, this is when Jesus was arrested, about to be crucified, the high priest understood that Jesus is claiming deity. He's saying, wait, you are claiming to be that Son of Man, like deity in Daniel 7? And he ripped his clothes saying, you're blaspheming. And that was them to say, we need to crucify him. We need to kill him. And so Daniel is, God is using it as progressive revelation to talk about the seed way back in Genesis 3. He's starting to reveal it, who the seed is. The son of man whose kingdom will be everlasting. Not only is this talked about in the book of Daniel with the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, that there will be a stone that knocks that statue down and it will be a kingdom that lasts forever. But this is the promise given to David about not just Solomon, but his offspring, the Messiah, whose kingdom will never end. And so that's one highlight from the book of Daniel. But let's now circle back up to, or I guess continue on to, the book of Hosea. Just uh, Before Hosea, Pastor Hayden has a thought. Well, no, just Daniel is a major prophet, not a minor prophet, he which makes major. sense when it's, it's a bigger book. But I always think that Daniel's shorter than it is, but actually it's just really not. It's not that short. It's not short at all. But all the minor prophets are minor because they're short, not because they're less exactly. than the major. Also known as the Book of the Twelve, because there's 12 minor prophets. Yep, there you go. All right, so Daniel is a major, and now we enter into the minor prophets, and we get to start off with Hosea, which his name means salvation. And he was a prophet uh, living in the southern kingdom, I believe, but his main target was the northern kingdom. and his But his message also coupled, encompassed every person who of, of God. And the book of Isaiah parallels Deuteronomy a lot. And that's why it's important for us to really know Deuteronomy, because a lot of the prophets are referring back to it going, Israel, you feel this, this, and this. I think he was in, he's in the northern kingdom. He's in the northern kingdom. All right, so I misspoke. He is in the northern kingdom, and he focuses on the northern kingdom. But he talks a lot about the southern kingdom. We that's about, the thing. Uh, that's good. I reversed it. My that's bad. right. So I reversed it. He's a northern kingdom prophet, but he talks about everyone, including 
uh, Israel because about how they failed the law, how they failed Deuteronomy. And so it'd be good to have a good study Bible to help you run through Isaiah to look back, okay, what is he talking about about Deuteronomy that they failed because this is why they're being the coming judgment is coming because it's promised in Deuteronomy. But there's also another promise in Deuteronomy that Hosea talks about saying, you're going to be judged, but Israel, you're going to be restored. Because that was a promise again. Where? Deuteronomy. And we see that fulfilled later. Well, when you look at Hosea, right? I mean, the whole, uh, the whole Isaiah, or the, sorry, Hosea, is, is all about uh, Hosea and Gomer and their relationship, right? And how uh, throughout the whole book, uh, Hosea was called by God to uh, marry a prostitute named Gomer, uh, to show the relationship that that Israel has with God, that God is a, a faithful husband, but Israel continues running away in their uh, in their whoredom, which is actually what the what the what it says in Hosea, uh, that as God is being a faithful husband, Israel is going out and and being a prostitute and not being faithful. And so you see throughout the whole prophet that. Uh, Hosea is pursuing Gomer, uh, his wife, but also the prostitute, who then goes around and goes after other lovers and and, and doesn't uh, focus on her husband, and then finds herself in enslaved. And then in that enslavement, uh, what what you find is Hosea, as the faithful husband, goes and purchases her and redeems her from slavery and and, and pursues her and, and makes her and makes her his again, just like God is promising to do with Israel, uh, even through this judgment period. Perfect. And so you can sum up the whole book of Hosea in three words, sin, (laughs) judgment, salvation. Mm -hmm. But it's a picture of the gospel. And this is why, Compass, we need to understand this. The Old Testament, we don't interpret it in light of the new. Really, we interpret the New Testament in light of the old and how the Old Testament keeps pointing towards this coming redemption plan in Mm -hmm. Christ Jesus. And so, and speaking of which, this is why Matthew quotes the Hosea chapter 11 and Pastor Aiden, you touched on this. Mm-hmm. And when we read it, you, you touched on your sermon. So I refer, refer back to your sermon uh, about this, but in Hosea 11, he's saying out of Egypt, I called uh, my son mm-hmm. because he's trying to build a relationship of Israel was called out of Egypt to be faithful to God, but they were not being faithful. And so God's judgment for their unfaithfulness is illustrated in Hosea's wife was to be on displayed. But Christ in the New Testament is like, well, Jesus is unfaithful. What is Hosea talking about? And what is Hosea even referring to? Yeah, when you look at that Hosea 11, 2 passage, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. This was a, a direct reference to the the historical account of, of God bringing Israel out of Egypt and how he loved him, and he uh, he called Egypt out of uh, of slavery in Egypt to bring them into the place that he had promised. And then even Hosea is looking back at the Numbers uh, prophecy of Balaam in, in Numbers 23 and 24. And yeah, you see in 23 that he does bring the nation of Israel out of Egypt. But then you see in Numbers 24 where it's not just the Egypt, it's ta- or not just Israel. It says that he's bringing him, right? He's this uh, coming time with this the messianic king. He's going to bring him out of Egypt. And although that uh, Israel was unfaithful and disobedient, although God loved him, there's going to be a a faithful one who is also going to be brought out of Egypt, who is really going to be the fulfillment of the obedience uh, that Israel was called to, but never fulfilled in the person of Christ as he was the one who God loved, who brought out of Egypt, who really fulfills 
uh, a space where Israel was disobedient, but yet Christ is the faithful one. And so when you read Hosea 11, uh, 2, uh, 1 and 2, it's like that. There's your, there's your pointing to Christ as Matthew takes that and says, uh, this is uh, the one whom we are waiting for, and it's exactly the reason why you see all the bad things happening in Matthew that sends Jesus to Egypt because Herod was going to kill him, but all of that was to fulfill what had been said through Hosea and even previously before that in Balaam's prophecy that all that was brought about to show uh, the world that uh, this child who came out of Egypt was that God's child whom he loved, whom he called out to uh, take away uh, the sin of Israel and the world, uh, and to show that this is a faithful one. Although Israel was unfaithful, uh, God is faithful, which is the whole theme of Hosea, that although Israel was an unfaithful bride, God was a faithful husband. He's a faithful husband that redeemed his bride. And so... In the same way, Christ has redeemed his Pride. And that's the purpose for us Christians today, and just remembering Colossians 1, something you preached out of a, a while back, even though it was like last year, funny enough, is that Christ is the one that reconciled him, his body of flesh by death. He re, how do he didn't reconcile himself. He reconciled all us, things yeah. through his himself, body. Through his body. Right, by his death. By his death. For what purpose? To present us holy and blameless. And that's the picture we see in Hosea. He's trying to redeem her. So I'm going to present you holy and blameless mm-hmm. as my wife. Now, God's doing that with his church by redeeming us through his blood and circling back to, and how can he do this? Why can he do this? Well, back in Daniel 7, the Son of Man has been given an everlasting kingdom. And so Matthew 28, the end of the book that we're studying, all authority has been given to Christ. And so now he says, go make disciples. And through that making disciples, he's going to use that means to go out and redeem people by reconciling them by the blood of his son, by his blood mm-hmm. to himself. For what purpose? To exalt the church, to exalt the believers. Right. And although there are those who are disobedient, Christ is going to come redeem them and purchase them out of sin into his family, into his glorious kingdom. Mm. See how the New Testament and the Old Testament are connected? That's right. Well, that concludes our daily Bible reading, Pastor Hayden. We have way too many announcements. We're out of time. So, Compass, hit double speed and let's go. All right. Women's Christmas Coffee, congratulations. What a great event. You had over 150 women at that. It was just amazing to see all these women uh, together, uh, worshiping together uh, and fellowshipping and sitting under teaching of God's Word. Can't wait to see what God does through the women's ministry moving forward. Uh, We are in the middle of our He Is Christmas series. And I want you to make sure you invite people back next week, which is also our Christmas celebration, to to listen to our next installment of the He Is uh, sermon series, and also to celebrate with us all God's done at Compass this year through an outreach that we are having called the Christmas Celebration. And so make sure you're inviting people to be with you. Don't come alone this next week. We want to see as many people as we've ever seen at Compass Bible Church next Sunday to celebrate. We're going to have a petting zoo. We're also going to have horse rides. We're going to have, uh, we have carolers who we have uh, rented out who are going to come carol for us for a while. We have food trucks and and so much more just uh, to celebrate what God's done and give an opportunity for people to come hear the gospel preached. Uh, And then that very next week, we have two things, Kids Christmas Choir at the 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. service. We know that's always going to be a wonderful part in addition to our church services in December. And that evening, we also have our serve team celebration. And so if you're listening to this and you've not registered for our serve team celebration, if you have served at Compass this 
this year, stop right now and go register for that. We need to know how many people are going to be there. Do it right now. We, we, know, we didn't know how many kids that we need to be prepared to uh, to take care of while you guys are celebrating all that God has done through you at Serving at Church this year. And so we're looking forward to our ugly sweater edition of our Serve Team celebration. That's right. Then the last two things are Christmas Eve service and our Christmas Day service. Christmas Eve service is a family service. Saturday, December 24th at 5.30 and 7 p.m. We're looking forward to seeing you guys there. And then the Christmas Day family service is on Christmas Day, and we want you to be there. Love to see you. What other day of the year should we prioritize more than the day that we celebrate the birth of Christ uh, than this Sunday, the 25th? Can't wait. And it's at the 11 a.m. only. No 9 o'clock service, just 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you guys there. Uh, So much more to talk about. Uh, We have one more, I guess, baptisms, January 8th. If you have yet to be baptized, you've been saved recently, or have never been baptized, or never followed through in believer's baptism, we want to encourage you to sign up for the baptism service on January the 8th. If you want to know where you can go to find that, go online at compasshillcountry.org slash baptism, and then you can register there uh, and meet with us, and so we can uh, look through your testimony and get you prepared to uh, be baptized on January the 8th. Do it today. All right, guys, so grateful for each of you. We love you. We do look forward to seeing all the things God's going to do through you and through this church in the coming year. We will see you guys soon.